Good morning, saints. How's everybody doing? If you could, wouldn't mind standing up, if you're able and willing, we'll pray and get into the Word. How's everybody feeling today? Really glad you're here. It's good to see everybody. Thankful for everybody that might be watching or watch later on or listen by podcast, whatever. Um, let's just lift our hands up, if you would. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. Holy Spirit, I offer myself to you. I bring myself before your altar. And I present myself to you as a living sacrifice, and I offer myself to you that I might make connection with you, that you would give me utterance today, that you would help me to speak words of life and illumination, and that you would help us to receive by the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of who Christ is and who we are in him. And we give you thanks and praise as we open up your word. We treat it as sacred and holy, and uh, we are submitted to it. We honor you. We honor your presence. We honor one another. In Jesus' name, if you can agree with that this morning, just say amen. amen. Give somebody a hug or say hi to somebody one more time, and then just go ahead and take your seat. We're going to dig into something this morning uh, from the book of Hebrews. I always try to open with the scriptures first. So I'm going to go ahead and read the passage from Hebrews chapter 5. And I want to begin in verse 9. Now, I'm picking up a thought in the book of Hebrews that is about Jesus. So Jesus is the subject. The he is referring to Christ. So in verse 9, it says, Once made perfect, he, or Christ, became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And he was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. I don't like that. Give me the new King James. Sorry. I thought I was reading and let's start over. I don't. It's nice to be able to go to different translations, right? I don't like that at all. I thought that's the one I was reading, but apparently not. Hebrews chapter five. Let's start over. Let's try this again in the New King James Version, verse 9. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, of him we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. Notice he says the first principles of the oracles of God. The first ones. Got it? You've come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of, I'm going to change the word Christ there to Messiah, that's the Hebrew, and we're reading in the book of, okay. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary Principles of Messiah. Let us go on to perfection, not laying, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith towards God, of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands, of resurrection from the dead and eternal judgment. And we will do so if God permits. All right. I want you to look at, if you'll, if you'll just come back with me again, the first few verses here. Verse 10, it's talking about Jesus says, He's called by God as a high priest according to the order of Mel. Kizadek. 
Next phrase. Of whom we have much to say. Everybody say much to say. How many of you have ever been anywhere where there was much to say about Melchizedek? Now that right there ought to be like raise a flag to us or something, right? Because here's what he's saying. He's saying he's saying you ought to be teachers, but I'm giving you milk, not meat. So you're not mature. <laughs> you're babies in Christ, right? And he says, you, you need to mature past that. And he says, the meat that I want to give you is about the order of Melchizedek. And we have much to say about this, but you can't understand it because you're dull of hearing. And, and the reason you're not, you're not mature enough yet to receive anything that's meat, but if it's meat, it's about the order of Melchizedek. Now, here's what happens to us in the church. Anytime somebody gets a new revelation, anytime somebody feels like they're like on the cutting edge of something, or they feel like they're a little bit set apart or ahead of other people or something, they start saying, well, when you come here, you're going to get the meat of the word. Anybody, we really get the meat in here. But if you're not talking about Melchizedek, it's not meat. I remember when I, when I first started learning about faith, the people that were teaching me faith, this is the meat, brother. But actually, it's the, it's the elementary principles. Repentance from dead works, faith toward God. Baptisms, laying on a hand. And he says, let's leave those things and move on. Okay, y'all are looking at me like a dog in a new dish, so let's just take a minute. I get it. So let me tell you how I got... So when I was uh, in 1991... I started attending a men's Bible study. And the first thing we did, and it was really, it was great for me. The first thing we did was we went through a verse-by-verse study of the book of Romans. Real exciting stuff. <laughs> and, and we looked, and, and, and so I, w- I was, I was uh, my initial foundation, first time I'd ever attended a Bible study. So the first things I ever heard about God, the first things I ever heard about salvation, the first things I ever heard about Jesus and, and, and Bible study came from a 16th century reformed reading of the book of Romans. The very next thing we did was we did the book of Hebrews. You know, ladies, I, this is an old joke, right? So you have to forgive me for being corny and telling it again. But, you know, that the, the, they say that the Bible says, where is my coffee, by the way? They say that, you know, in, in the mornings, it's, it's biblical for the men to make the coffee because the Bible says Hebrews. So next thing, you know, we're, we're going through this verse-by-verse study of, of the book of Hebrews, and I remember stumbling over this and saying, wait a minute, there's, there's, there's meat here, there's mature things here, and it's about this order of Melchizedek, and you can't find anything in Christian bookstores hardly, or on ministry websites, or anything anywhere hardly, especially back then, this is 1991, on the order of Melchizedek. And I immediately, as a young believer, I'm the second Bible, you know, Bible study I'd been to, and I thought something is wrong here. Something is amiss. The early church was trying to get something across about this priesthood, and they said, we want to tell you this, we have much to say about this, and then he hardly says anything. So what happened to the meat? 
Did it just get lost with the early church? So in 91, I started studying and looking, finding anything I could on Melchizedek. And so how many of you remember Alan Vincent that used to come to our church way back when? So those of you that have never heard of Alan Vincent, Alan and his wife Eileen were missionaries to India. They were Baptist missionaries to India in 1966. And they went to Bombay to, to preach the gospel. And uh, they failed miserably. <laughs> I can't remember how many years they they labored and they but they failed yeah it was a long time they failed miserably and um, anyway make a long story short they end up this is around the time of the charismatic movement they end up coming into the baptism of the Holy Spirit and go back to India and literally uh, birth um, my goodness I mean it was an entire movement we went to their uh, 60th no 40th. Uh, anniversary celebration in ministry and they figured out from india they they birthed thousands of churches hundreds of thousands of people uh became christians uh, a number of people were raised from the dead under their ministry and then they went into kenya and then they went into eastern europe and the uk and anyway we went to their 40th um, anniversary and there was millions of people impacted by the influence that they had and they had an influence upon our lives and been in our church eileen and alan over the years a number of different times alan's 90 something years old now and um, not doing well physically you know i guess maybe he is for 90 i'm not sure but he's not preaching anymore and uh but anyway, a lot of my friends are still connected. The guys I go see in Africa and stuff are still, I met them through Alan Vincent. And the way we got connected with Alan Vincent was we ended up going to this church in San Antonio. And I wanted to get some teaching tapes from a guy named Rick Godwin. I don't know if you, any of you that go way back will remember Rick Godwin from San Antonio. But anyway, I like listening to Rick Godwin. So I, I go to his church in San Antonio. I wanted to get some of his messages. And there's this little corner, this little area called Outpouring Ministries. And they have all these teaching uh, messages from a guy named Alan Vincent. And I see he has a teaching series called The Order of Melchizedek. And I'm thinking... I've been looking for this. Now, this is 1995. So I'm thinking, I've been looking for this for four years. <laughs> and I devoured that series on the Melchizedek priesthood. And I remember listening to him, and it just resonating something inside of me. And I, and I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, I would love to, to meet this man or even be mentored by this man. If there would ever be a possibility for that to happen, uh, that would be great. And I just kind of threw it out there. And then several years later, when I first started pastoring, uh, into the, in, we're into the 2000s now, and I'd worn out those tapes about the only ones I had, but I had them memorized, right? Because he's the only person I could find out there talking about Melchizedek. And I get a call from uh, some members of our church at the time, and uh, they said, uh, we have this friend from San Antonio that's going to be in Colorado Springs at a prayer conference, and she's looking at Pueblo uh, and wants to come down and meet some people. Would you be interested in meeting with her? And maybe, I know you don't know of her, but have her speak in the church. And I said, well, what's her name? It was Eileen Vincent. Well, I knew Eileen was married to Alan. And so I said, oh, yeah, I don't have to pray about that. I prayed about that five years ago or eight years ago or whatever it was. And so then we ended up having a connection, and it was really good, and it was a fruitful relationship. But that was the only thing I could find, my point to all that, that was the only thing I could find about the Melchizedek priesthood. And I've never taught anything about the Melchizedek priesthood. So this may be a little different for you, this may be definitely going to be different for me, but I'm going to do a whole series on what it means to be in the order of Melchizedek. 
Because in the book of Hebrews, it says that Jesus is the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. But then in several places, we are told that we are also in a priesthood. Well, we're not in a Levitical priesthood. And last time I checked, most of you weren't ordained in the Catholic Church or the Eastern Orthodox Church or anything. But but those things didn't exist back when Peter and these guys were writing it and saying, you're part of a priesthood. Well, what is the priesthood that you're part of? What does it mean to be in a priesthood? And what does it mean to be after the order of Melchizedek? We don't have a clue. (laughs) And I realize that some of this stuff may be difficult to hear because even these guys are saying, we want to talk about this stuff. We have much to say about this stuff, but you're dull of hearing, you're hard of hearing when it comes to it. So if this sounds a little bit different, if this sounds a little bit out there, if this sounds like, oh, I don't know what they're doing down at that church, I get it. And here's the other thing about Melchizedek. You you can go look it up. And he's been one of the most abused characters in all of the Bible. And what I mean by abused is is there are all kinds of people that lay claim to being part of a Melchizedek priesthood that that don't wouldn't know Jesus from Adam. (laughs) A little Bible humor there. So I don't know. I'm just in a goofy mood today. So I'm sorry if I'm not connecting. So, so let's go to chapter 7, because then the whole rest of the, basically the whole rest of the book, at least till you get chapter, to chapter 11, the book of Hebrews is about the high priesthood of Jesus after the order of Melchizedek. Now, so let's introduce him. Hebrews does a great job in chapter 7, verse 1, of introducing who Melchizedek is. So here we go. Verse 1, for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. Of whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness. So in other words, the word Melchizedek simply means king of righteousness. Got it? So it says first being translated king of righteousness and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. So when when Abraham meets Melchizedek, he's meeting Melchizedek, king of Salem, he's meeting king of righteousness, king of peace. Now watch this part, because this part's important. Without father, without mother, without genealogy. Everybody say with me, without father, without mother, and without genealogy. Having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God. Everybody said, made like. like. Everybody say, made like. like. The Son of God remains a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. And indeed, those who are of the sons of Levi, who received the priesthood, have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from the brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the... Better. Here mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them of whom it is witness that he lives. And even Levi who receives tithes, paid tithes to Melchizedek, or to, through Abraham, so to speak, when he was still in the lines of his father, 
etc., and so on. Verse 11, Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not called according to the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is a change of the law. Now, let's identify, when, when you look at, now Bible scholars get into this stuff, right? And I know it's, it's boring to most of us, but let's just back up from this for a second. Because if you go out and you Google Melchizedek, you're going to find all kinds of crazy stuff. And if you look at what Christians are saying about Melchizedek, basically there is, there is, a, there is a, a scholastic battle, if you will, uh, fight over who was Melchizedek, who was he, and there are two camps. Really, there are only two camps. One camp, and the camp that Alan Vincent was in, and the camp that I was in for a lot of years, is that Jesus and Melchizedek are the same person. And so what they would say is that when Abraham meets Melchizedek, he's meeting a pre-virgin birth manifestation of Christ. Got it? So they say Melchizedek in the Bible is... Jesus, and that seems to be a favorite one. And they, they, when they talk about it, they talk about it like it's just case closed, right? You know, I mean, it's funny to hear. But then other, perhaps even more serious Bible scholars have ruled out the possibility that it's Jesus. And so they go with, within some, within the tradition of rabbinic Judaism, which is the Judaism that formed in response to Christianity as a negative reaction to it. Rabbinic Judaism. Within Rabbinic Judaism, they say, no, Melchizedek is Shem. Now, do you know who Shem is? Shem is the son of Noah, right? So what they say is is that he became a priest and he lived all this time to meet Abraham and he blesses Abraham and kind of passes the baton, if you will, of righteousness or whatever. Is, Is this making sense to you? But here's the problem. If just a casual reader of the book of Hebrews, if we go back and look at it, rules out both those possibilities, and here's why. And I'm going to give you a very radical proposition that is mine. In other words, I didn't read this in a book. Nobody has substantiated it. It could be total baloney. Or it could be revelation from God. And ultimately, it probably doesn't really matter. But but I'm going to give you my idea. Because look what it says here. It says... Verse 3, without father, without mother, and without genealogy. Well, that rules out Shem right there. Because we know who his father and his mother was. And almost all the genealogies of Israel go back to Shem. So it's like the writer's saying right there, it's not Shem. Right? Having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made... Like the Son of God. Now, if you're like the Son of God, I, I, I would never introduce myself and say, Hi, I'm Aaron Tomlinson, and I'm, I'm like Aaron Tomlinson. <laughs> Does that make sense to people? You talk about yourself. Well, I, you know, I enjoy, uh, uh, you know, I enjoy eating. Uh, I enjoy going out and just having a, uh, you know, feasting upon all kinds of different rolls at some sushi place. You know, sushi rolls. That's just like Aaron Tomlinson. I mean, does that make any sense to any common sense thinking person on the planet? So that also rules out 
Jesus. So in one verse, we did destruction to volumes of books that have been written that say that Melchizedek is either Shem, can't be Shem, because the Bible clearly says he's without father, he's without mother, he's without genealogy, he's without beginning of days or end of life, but he's likened to the Son of God. And Jesus never says Jesus is Melchizedek or he is the high priest Melchizedek. It says he's the high priest who's come after the order of Melchizedek. And he compares the order of Levi to the order of Aaron. None of those high priests were Aaron. They came after the order of Aaron. So you've you got to rule both those out. So what's the other possibility? I don't want to tell you. <laughs> I really don't want to tell you. I like to be liked. I like to be thought of as Christian and Orthodox and all that good stuff. I really do. So this is just my personal heresy. You can take it or leave it. I don't care. No bearing to me whatsoever. But don't throw out everything I say just because this is a little too radical for you. All right, so let me just quote a verse for you because I've I got to give you a Bible. If I'm going to come up with some kind of radical thing, I need to give you some idea of where I got it from, right? Hebrews 11, verse 3. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. I can assure you in the Greek it's plural. By faith, we believe that the worlds, not world, world is singular, one planet, we live in a world. Paul said the gospel's gone out in the whole world. Jesus said this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world, singular. But here when we're talking about creation, you believe the Bible's inspired by God. Here when we're talking about creation, he doesn't talk about a world, he talks about worlds. Are you breathing? This is why this is hard to hear. So here's my thought. Melchizedek is without genealogy because he's not a descendant of Adam. Jesus is a descendant of Adam. Which means he was a priest who came as a representative to deal with Abraham, but he was a priest from another world. He's an E.T. (laughs) Now I want you to think about this for a second. When Adam and Eve ate at the tree of knowledge, what happened? They died. And so their DNA, their existence, was stained by corruption. God is starting over with Abraham. If you don't, if you, if you say God started over with Jesus, you don't understand the book of Genesis. The whole point of the book of Genesis is that Adam fell, and the fall doesn't just happen, by the way, in chapter 3. It happens chapter 3 through chapter 11. Because you got the flood, 
You've got the Tower of Babel. You've got the separation. You've got the continents splitting up. Did you know all that's in your Bible? Did you know the continents splitting up is in your Bible? Most people don't know that. It's in the book of Genesis. That's the fall. Then when you get to Genesis 12, God introduces Abram. So after the fall, God tells the serpent, the seed of the woman will bruise your head, but he will bruise your heel. In other words, there's going to come a seed that's going to undo what you just did in Adam. So when he shows up to Abram, he says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless your seed. So the seed of Abraham is God's reversal of Adam. Right? Got it? But he's from the same corruptible line. So God has to do something in Abram in order to set apart what he's about to do on the earth. Why is it unthinkable for us that God may have had other existences other places that know Him and serve Him, that never fell? Or, why do we have to believe this is the first time God's ever done this? I know it's kind of radical, huh? Okay, let me give you this. When, when God is speaking to, uh, to humanity, God blessed them and God said what? Be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. You cannot replenish something that wasn't first plenished. <laughs> Sometimes I just like to say stuff for shock value and watch the look on people's faces. <laughs> just mess with your Sunday school, you know. <laughs> replenish. So there are a lot of people that teach that there were pre-Adamite existences. So what if there were races of beings made in the image of God who served God and didn't fall, didn't fail, never experienced death, that are serving Him? Wouldn't it make sense that some of them might serve Him in the plan of redemption? Is that that big of a leap? All right. Here's the point. Here's what you need to understand Import, that I think is the most important thing when we're talking about this thing in the Melchizedek priesthood. Let's keep reading. I'll start in verse 11 again. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not called according to the order of Aaron? See, he's explaining why the first covenant was insufficient because it was still a part of this corruptible creation. For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the what law. For he of whom things these things are spoken belongs to another tribe. Now it's talking about Jesus. He of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no man has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah of the tribe of Moses, spoke nothing of this tribe. Moses spoke nothing concerning the priesthood. And yet, I'm sorry, and 
It is yet far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest who has come not according to the law of fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former, the law and that which is fleshly, the annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing of a better hope by which we draw near unto God. So here's the point. He's saying the law was given to a corruptible seed, to a race of people who had corruption and death in in their DNA and working in their system. But God wanted to redeem them by giving them the gift of eternal life and the power of life. But they are under the curse of this world system where everything decays and everything goes really from light into darkness. You don't think everything goes from light into darkness? Think about especially how the ancients thought about death or how people thought about death before Christ and before the resurrection. You went from the light of day into the darkness of death. That's why the Bible says those who sit in the shadow of death have seen a great life. Because all of us sit in the shadow of death because we know it's coming. Was it that say, you know, these lovely inspirational sayings? The moment you're born, you start to die. Isn't that a glorious thought? Take an apple out and leave an apple out long enough. What's going to happen to it? It's going to rot. Everything is under the curse of decay, right? So God erects a external, erects a, a system of religion, a temple, and a priesthood. And what's the focus of the priesthood? Slaughter and blood. Why? Because you're part of, the, of a decaying environment. So therefore, the priest would constantly have these reminders of death and decay and slaughter and bloodshed and sacrifice because you're part of this order, right? And so here's what the gospel does. Here's what the new covenant does. The new covenant brings in a different priesthood that necessitates a change of law because it's not based on corruption and it's not based on legalism. It's based... Okay, okay. I'm back up. I'm getting ahead of myself. I've been holding on to this for 20 some odd years. Give me a break. 90... Yeah, 25, I don't know, a long time. So watch this. Under corruption, so the best they could have was a system of laws that could try to govern corruption. But there's no supernatural power in the law. There's no supernatural... And I know people argue and say, oh, you want to bet? Try keeping it. But listen, Paul. of all the things Paul said about the law... You need to understand, he also said some really good things too. Paul said, concerning righteousness of the law, I'm spotless. He basically said, I've kept all the law. His problem was, when he gets into Romans 7, he says, even though I, I, I kept all the law, when I got to thou shalt not covet, all kinds of covetousness desires started to arise in me. So in other words, I could refrain from stealing, I could refrain from adultery, I could refrain from murder, I could not tell a lie, I could make sure I didn't eat pork, I could follow all the kosher laws, I could, I could make sure I went to synagogue on the Sabbath, and I could make sure I followed all the feasts, and I could do all that stuff, because it doesn't require any spirit, any supernatural power, no change of heart. But he said, when I got to the last commandment and it said thou shalt not covet and I began to look inside my own heart and into my own life I began to find all kinds of covetous desires so therefore I found the one commandment I couldn't keep because it's the one commandment that wasn't external but internal 
And therefore, and in that, Paul's saying, I discovered not the failure of the law, but the failure of my own corrupted humanity. And so what God had to do in Christ and what God was doing in Melchizedek was completely sidestepping, bringing in a priest without genealogy, without mother, without father, who can't be traced back to Adam and can't be traced back to deception and darkness and corruption and the fall, without beginning of days or end of life, so that he could do something, this is going to sound crazy, to tweak the DNA of the nation of Israel so that one day there could come a son of Adam. When, when Jesus refers to himself as the son of man, we, we don't translate it right. It's, in the Hebrew, it's Ben Adam. It's, it's the son of Adam. So that there could come a son of Adam who would have a Melchizedek trigger, if you will, inside his own DNA so that he could arise not just as a priest, but also as a king-priest, so that he could arise after the order of Melchizedek, so that when he goes to perform the atonement, he doesn't kill a goat, and he doesn't kill a lamb. He lays down his own body, which is the Lamb of God, but he's got a trigger inside of him that is not of this world, that manifests the power of an endless life. So that he can take the son, he can take the race of Adam into the corruption of death. He can break down the gates of hell. He can destroy the power of death and the power of sin and the power of the devil. And he can rescue those who have been made captive. And he can raise them up from the dead, having redeemed them through his own blood and having made unto him of them a kingdom of priests or kings and priests unto our God. Not after the order of Levi, but after the order of Melchizedek. Because that order... So when the priesthood changes now, because you have indestructible life inside you now, the law has to change. Because the law was given to govern corruptible life. All these people want to go back and eat, eat like Eden. Not so much anymore, but it's a fad a while back. I remember it's like being lectured. I mean, it's fun being a pastor. You should try it sometime. <laughs> being lectured by people, how, you know, you're going to get diseases because you're not eating right. It doesn't matter if it's pork or bacon or GMOs. And so all these people are, if we'll go back and follow the diet in the Bible, we won't have these diseases. Your pre- that's because your priesthood hasn't changed. Sure, if, you, if you're corruptible, what you eat matters. <laughs> if you're subject to death, what you eat matters. But Jesus said, these signs will follow them that believe in my name. They will, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will lay their hands on the sick and they'll recover, right? And what else did he say? If they, if they get bit by a snake... Or if they drink any deadly thing, it will not harm them. So I have got a verse to drink Coca-Cola. <laughs> Hallelujah. You see it? The law is trying to get the best out of a corruptible existence. What the gospel does, what the new covenant does, is it introduces the power of an indestructible life. 
And when the priesthood changes, of necessity, the law changes. That's why people don't understand. They don't even understand. People that preach grace don't even understand grace. Can I tell you why? Because they still preach it from a legalistic perspective. Here's what I mean by that. Here's the foundation. So, so here's the problem. We, we, we primarily set God up as his judge, and then we say you in your corruptible flesh have to try to meet his standards of righteousness, right? And then God measures out blessing. And I still haven't figured out how those guys do salvation yet. It's like, well, it covers, the grace covers all the past stuff, but then after that, you've got to be responsible. So it's like, God has a lot more grace for you when you're not his kid. But the moment he adopts you, things change, buddy. And you could get kicked out, disinherited at a moment's notice. How's that supposed to work? When you were, but Romans 5 says, when you were enemies with God, God was reconciled to you through the death of His Son. And if you've been reconciled to Him, how much more now will you be safe from wrath? But we sit there and say, oh, well, you know, God, grace covers all your past stuff, but your present stuff, you better make sure you confess all that mess. So grace people come along and say, no, 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 no. God still requires that, that legalistic righteousness, and he understands that you can't attain it, so Jesus attains it for you, and then God kills Jesus in your place to deal with his wrath. I mean, this thing's so... Oh, okay. God kills Jesus in your place to wrath, and then he transfers this righteousness of Jesus over onto you, and now God sees you as though he's looking at Jesus. Careful when you say amen. Because I don't want God. God already has Jesus. And it's my conviction that God does not have to see you through His Son to like you. I like most of you. I like a lot of you. Some of you I love. I would never mistreat any of you on purpose. You know, like go drive nails in your hands and you know, because I'm angry. Or send you to eternal conscious torment. But yet we say God's incapable of doing that unless He sees you through Jesus. And so the way we preach grace is, well, then you're running on Jesus' track record. That's not grace. That's a legal fiction. That's God pretending you're somebody you're not. And the problem with it, the problem with it is this, both systems are based on law. It's resolving the same problem in a different way with a governing framework being judicial and legal. God is coming at it in the Melchizedek priesthood from a position of relationship and worship and presence. Not how do I get you right according to the books of heaven so that I maintain my justice and my love, but rather how do I get my presence in you? Because what is a priest? Uh, There is no priesthood without a temple. There's no priesthood without a temple. And the temple was the house of God. The temple was the place where heaven and earth came together. The temple was the place where the angels and the cherubim and the seraphim came. And the people came. And the priests mediated the relationship between God and Israel. They mediated the heavens and the earth. And God said, and it was out of that system, out of that priesthood... That the law came. So all these Christians trying to keep the law and all these poor, 
All these Christians trying to say, you've got to keep the law and going back and studying all that stuff. And they're missing the entire boat because they're following a rabbinic form of Judaism that, that crystallized in the 6th century. Because the law came out of the temple. And if you don't have a temple, you don't have a law. If you don't have a priesthood, you don't have a law. And last time I did, and that's why they want that temple rebuilt over in Jerusalem. Because they keep trying to go back under an old order and under an old system. This thing brings in a whole new priesthood with the power of an indestructible life. And, and Jesus says, God does not dwell in a temple made with stones. God does not dwell in a temple made with hands. In other words, God does not dwell in a temple that's not of this creation. Or that's of this creation. You understand what I'm saying? It's not made of stones, things he's created, and it's not made by hands, things that men have crafted. So where does he dwell? He dwells, and we find out from Paul, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so the goal of this priesthood is to bring the presence and the fellowship of, of, of heaven. And not just, and that's why when, when you get into this, and when we look at this, and, and we're doing this on Wednesday nights, I gotta hurry. We're doing this, I keep looking at my watch, Dana watch. Uh, it's been 20 years. On Wednesday nights, we're talking about how to tap into the angelic because we treated the angels like they're, like, can I just say it? You remember apartheid in South Africa? We have an apartheid on the angels. So we say, don't get too involved with them. Don't talk to them. Don't let them talk to you. But actually, the Melchizedek priesthood is there to facilitate relationships Relationships with the unseen, relationships with God, relationships with the angels, and relationships with the cloud of witnesses. That's why Hebrews begins talking about the angels in chapter 2 and ends talking about the cloud of witnesses in chapter 12. And in the middle is the priesthood because it's the priesthood that facilitates the relationship between the Christian and the angelic and the Christian and the saints and their ancestors that went before them. Yeah, I said it. Are you tracking with me? Yes. And, of, and when the priesthood changes, the law also has to change. So Jesus says, one thing I tell you to do, love one another. The law of the new covenant is the law of love. That flows from, an indes- from the power of an indestructible life. So therefore, when you begin to operate by the power of an indestructible life, you have to leave the first oracles of the destructible life, which is repentance from dead works and faith towards God and doctrines of baptisms and the laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And you leave all of that so that you can go on to the maturity and the perfection of the meat of the Melchizedek priesthood. And really, if we don't understand that, we don't even begin to understand what God was doing in Christ, at the cross, in the atonement, in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, or in the new covenant at all. 
So we'll spend some time talking about it. I hope it wasn't too out there for you. Let's stand up and pray. To simplify it down, stepping into the order of Melchizedek is the same as stepping stepping into the power of an indestructible life. Take the power of eternal life and manifest it in your thinking, your feeling, your speaking, and your acting, and thereby bringing the kingdom of heaven to the earth. Does that make sense? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for your love and your mercy. Just ask you to take this seed, Father, and plant it in the soil it's meant to be planted in. Anything that I said that caused a stumbling or an offense, Lord, I pray that that will just fall away, be minimized. And what I said that was truly of you, may it just be firmly established in our lives and in the hearts of people. And I give you thanks for that in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.